And I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us through LiveGate Outreach TV and also through our podcasts on the audio channels in iTunes and Buzzsprout. We want to believe God that the Lord is reaching you where you are constantly. Again, thank you for the testimonies that you send in from time to time. We are truly encouraged by them. And we pray that God will continue to perfect all that concerns you also in the name of Jesus. We are living in awesome times. We are truly grateful for how God has been helping us as a people. And um, I want to continue to encourage you to be attentive to the Spirit. The Spirit of God is desiring to continue His work in every one of our lives. But He is a gentle Spirit. He is a Spirit that will not strive with the Spirit of man. I want you to know that there are many things God wants you to be uh, focusing on and to be paying attention to in your own personal life. Please make time to hear the Spirit of God and allow Him to continue to lead you. And the Lord Himself will continue to lead you in the name of Jesus. Our time is a bit gone today, but I want us to just look at our, the next topic in our series today, uh, which is empowered to be witnesses by divine help. Empowered to be witnesses by divine help is our series, and as you can see on the banner, we are on the third of that series of nine, uh, which is uh, on the theme, Called to Serve. So the title of today's message is Answering the Call to Serve. We're looking at Acts chapter 9 to verse, uh, Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 12. That is Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 11, and Acts 12. Those four chapters will be our focus for the for the discussions today. Amen. And so we are truly thankful to God. We have been having our anchor scripture from Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Let us quickly look at that and read it together again. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But you shall receive power. Let's read together. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this has been our core scripture and we will continue to look at it because this is where Jesus said that we, we will be witnesses. And uh, we all know that the first four chapters we focused on looking at how God helped the church to unite. That the unity in the church helped them to actually receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and it helped them to do so many things. And we also looked at the fact last week that God gave the church the empowerment to operate very strategically. They operated supernatural wisdom by way of administration when the devil was trying to use, uh, uh, first and foremost, they, they were sanctified by the Holy Spirit when uh, the, the, the spirit of lies uh, and deception was sort of introduced into the church by the devil and it got hold of Ananias and Sapphira. And then a time came that uh, the Hellenists were also trying to stir up trouble and God gave the church the wisdom to appoint deacons who could look over the affairs of those things that they were complaining about. And then also we looked at in Acts chapter um, 7 the great wisdom of God that spoke through the man called Stephen who spoke the word of God, and we said he used the word of God as a sword of the Spirit because at the end of all that, we saw that there was a manifestation of God's grace that allowed the church to be able to overcome the, uh, the, the martyrdom that happened to Stephen even 
as he declared the word of God. But in Acts chapter 8, we saw that there was a scattering of the church, which looked like something the devil was doing, but as we will continue to see in the subsequent chapters, it was God's divine plan to get the church out of Jerusalem into the various places. So as we are looking at the next four chapters, 9, 10, 11, and 12 today, if you haven't watched or listened to those series, please go on Live It Outreach TV. They are all there, and uh, you can be blessed by them so that you can catch up and you can also get a full picture of where we are coming from in this series. Amen. And so the, we, the, we must never forget, it is very important that we keep reminding ourselves that becoming a Christian is a call to service. See, becoming a Christian is not just a call to become a member of a religion or a cult. It's not just some fashion that is fashionable to have. I remember as a young uh, person in the, my teenage, in the 80s, I remember that it was almost being talked about as being fashionable to become born again. And um, it was almost like a cliche, are you born again? And everybody would say, what, what are you doing? You are not born again. Now, some of it was positive. It was positive and was building people. But at a point, it was almost watered down. It was looking like a joke. And a lot of that joke had remained in the church till this present day. So there are many people who are born again for years, five years, ten years, twenty years, who really do not yet understand what it means to be born again. Why? How do I know this? Because the Bible says, by their fruits, you shall know them. If I see the fruit that a person is really producing, I can tell whether they are born again or not. If a person has to be begged to do the things of God, they're not born again. They could be in church five years, ten years, but you're not born again. It's just, it, just, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Because the fruit of your being born again is your desire to want the things of the kingdom. It is what makes, the same way the world was a lure for you and a pull to you when you were in the world, is the same way the kingdom is, will be a lure and a pull for you. Your desire to study the Bible, your desire to pray, your desire to fellowship will be top every time for a truly born again child of God. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Let's read that quickly. The Bible says, Now all things are of God, who has what? Reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us what? The word of reconciliation. Somebody say, he has committed to me. The ministry of reconciliation. He has put in my hand and my mouth the word of reconciliation. So we have a ministry and the, the, the work in that ministry is to continue to declare the word. The ministry is called reconciliation. The tool to use in that ministry is the word of reconciliation. It is called a ministry of reconciliation. Now those of you who, knows, know, who know things about the civil service, if you work in a ministry, say the ministry of education, now there are certain tasks you do, you are meant to regulate and, and look after the educational systems of the particular country that ministry is to serve. This is exactly how it is in the kingdom of God. 
there is something called reconciliation. There is an activity in the kingdom called reconciliation. The kingdom of God has that whole ministry called the ministry of reconciliation. And the work of the ministry, the work in the ministry of reconciliation, the work of the ministry of reconciliation is to reconcile people, to bring people who are not yet in the fold into the fold of the kingdom. And the tool to do it is the word of reconciliation. Hallelujah. So we must understand that this is the primary purpose for which we have been called. Every Christian must remember that the call to be a Christian is a call to active service. God is always looking for those who will heed to this call of service and become actively serving Christians. It is God's interest that we all serve in this ministry of reconciliation. In the Old Testament, a prophet called Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, let's read that, heard the voice of God. And the Bible says, and let's read together, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah said, I heard the voice saying to me, whom shall I send? And I said, here am I, send me. And I want us to know that just like this prophet responded, we must also be willing, we must also be committed to the call in order for us to be well-pleasing unto God. So our study of the book of Acts chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11 and 12 will help us to understand how to be empowered witnesses in answering the call to serve. Now, because it is impossible for us in the few minutes we have to share the details of these four chapters, the first thing I would ask you to do is read the book of Acts, especially as we're reading it along. If you haven't read Acts chapter 1 to chapter 8, make sure you read those. It will help you. And then this week, meditate extensively on Acts chapter 9, 10, 11, 12. As a church, we fast together every Monday. It is a good thing to focus on the things that we're praying about, apart from your personal issues that you may want to bring to the Lord. But you can concentrate on reading Acts chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12. And so please make yourself uh, uh, familiar with these scriptures because we can only skim through the things that we want to discuss from them. And also, we do a lot of expansion and exposition in the course of our morning prayers that we do online. So if you have not been joining, uh, and anyone who is even listening to, my, uh, to the message online can also join. We use the platform zoom.us, and um, there is a, a, an ID number which we can supply to you if you contact us through any of the means. And uh, some of the times throughout the uh, week, we also share additional insights. And the same thing with our online midweek service on Wednesday night. So it helps you to have a bigger picture. Obviously, this message will continue on Wednesday, and it is also beneficial for you to have a bigger understanding of those things. So that is just to help us. So there are several truths that are there, but we would like to look at some of the things that God sort of would want us to look at for this time. I call them the values that anyone who answers the call of God must have. There are three prominent values I want us to, to, to uh, extract from Acts chapter 9, one value, and then Acts chapters 10 and 11, one value, and Acts chapter, 11, uh, Acts chapter 12, the third value. The first thing I want us to understand is that we must value what I call godly disruption. Somebody say godly disruption. In order to be somebody who answers the call of God effectively in your life, 
you must know how to value godly disruption. And this is taken from the book of Acts chapter 9. Again, we will not read the whole thing. We read it through the scripture reading today. And um, the, the Bible makes us to understand that the context of this was Saul, who was a man that was persecuting the church. Acts chapter 8 verse 1, we heard that he was breathing out threats. The disciples were scattered. And the disciples, for the first time, left Jerusalem and they went all over the place. Now Saul himself got very audacious in Acts chapter 9. And he was making up his mind, he made up his mind that he would no longer just persecute Christians in Jerusalem, but that he was going straight out. And the first target of the place he was going was Damascus. But God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to start Paul's ministry. Saul's ministry, who was later named Paul by God, started this ministry in that same Damascus. It is a mystery of God to see how God turns things around where the enemy is trying to take advantage of our disobedience from time to time. So it was a very interesting disruption that God stopped Saul on the way. And as we read earlier on in the uh, Bible reading, God said to him, why are you persecuting him? Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? And he said that it is hard for you to kick against the bricks and not be obviously uh, touched by it. So it was very important that Saul was disrupted because God was going to use Saul, who later became Paul, in a very, very mighty way. So that was the first disruption we read about. We read it from Acts chapter three, uh, 9, verse 3. He said, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 6, let's go to verse 6. It says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? The first question anyone who comes to the Lord must ask God is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Unfortunately, these days, when believers are led to the Lord, the first things we tell them are the things that God will do for them. First, that they are going to heaven, and then secondly, that they will enjoy earthly blessings. Whilst those things are true, they are not the most important thing. The most important thing is for us to locate what we are set up by God to do for him. Because when you identify what you are to do for God and I identify what I'm to do for God, according to Matthew 6.33, as we seek first that kingdom and its righteousness, all the other things that we're talking about that we place emphasis on will be added unto us. Hallelujah. The Bible says every laborer is worthy of his wages. The laborer seeks to perform labor so that he can get his wages. He doesn't go looking for wages before doing the labor. So we must understand that the kingdom thought and the kingdom mentality is what Saul had from the beginning. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not what do you want me to enjoy? Not what do you want me to appreciate in this kingdom? He said, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, let's read that together. Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Somebody say must do. The call to serve is a mandatory service. It's a service that is expecting us to do something. When God saved you and I, there is something that you must do and there is something that I must do. And if there is anything the devil wants to contest is to make it difficult for you to do that thing and for me to do that thing. 
So we must live in the conscious, not conscientious knowledge that of the fact that God will continually disrupt our processes, our thought patterns, in order for us to do what we must do. So Saul experienced this godly disruption first. And if we go to verse 10, another man experienced a disruption in his life. His name was Ananias. This was not the same Ananias, of course, that was killed in uh, Acts chapter 5 by the Holy Spirit. But this Ananias was a godly man. Let's read together verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named what? Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision what? Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And then God began to tell him that a person was coming to his house. I like how God said to him that a man named Ananias will come to you. And uh, he, he said to Saul that he had prepared him for that. And they were leading him that he's in the house of a person called Judas that was prepared for him in Damascus. And when Ananias heard that, he said to God, he said, this man, I'm not quite sure. This guy is a killer of Jews. He's a killer of those who are of the faith. And uh, I'm not quite sure. I've heard that he has actually got letters to come and deal with us. Well, let's read what God said to him in verse 15. He said, but the Lord said to him, go for he is what? A chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and what? Children of Israel. Somebody say, I am a chosen vessel. My past is immaterial. My history is inconsequential. You see, I want to reassure you, when we read these verses of scripture many times, we don't find it, we, we, we don't immediately apply them to ourselves. Because there are many things that we ought to be doing that a lot of our past is still hindering us from doing. Many of us will want to do certain things and the voice of the enemy will come and tell you, have you forgotten how you used to be? Have you forgotten that you are this person? Have you forgotten this? Have you forgotten that? Or God will be sending us to certain people to do certain things like Ananias and we will be asking God that, but Lord, you know that person, that they, they, they have been very wayward. You know that they have been very crude. They have been very bad to people. They have treated me badly and so on and so forth. Now, Ananias took a big risk. If he wasn't hearing from God and he wasn't sure, if it was just something of the flesh, it was as good as somebody going to kill himself. Saul was a very big threat to the church. He killed people. He sent people to jail. He ordered the death of many people. So this was no small fish we're talking about. He was a terrorist. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, had touched the heart of Saul and now reached out and disrupted. Somebody say he disrupted. He disrupted the journey and the life of Ananias as well. All the mindset of Ananias was changed overnight and Ananias went. The Bible says in verse 16, For I will show him many things. He said, you go. He said, for I will show him many things that he must do what? Suffer for my sake. The next thing, anyone who is called to, by God to serve, after being godly disrupted, must understand as that part of that disruption is that there will be suffering. Christians must know that Christian suffering is not punishment. Christian suffering is not a a way of God getting back to you as to the sins that you have committed that he forgave you of. 
<laughs> Christian suffering is not anything that God put in place to bring hardship to you. Christian suffering is part of what God has allow, is allowing you and I to go through in order to make us holistic, in order to make us appreciative of his love, his favors, his, his, and to make us dependent on him. He said, I will show him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. Everybody who bears the name of the Lord must know that it is a journey of suffering. Now, that does not mean in any way that we leave our lives to the devil to batter the way he likes. But we must understand that there are persecutions, there are trials. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about them. He said there are perils, there are difficult situations that will come our way. He said, but none of those things must be able to stop us from the love of God. Amen. So he said, Paul was going to suffer some things. Saul was going to suffer some things for his name's sake. He said, and Ananias, verse 17, went his way, verse 17, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, what? Brother Saul. Is that not interesting? For the first time, he had not met Saul before. But because of the conviction he had about the voice of the Spirit of God he had through Jesus speaking to him, he said, brother Saul. He said, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may what? Receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And of course we know because Saul got blinded by the encounter, we know that scales fell off his eyes and he began to see. Now look at Saul in verse 20. After he had stayed for some days, let's look at Saul's life and let's shout it out immediately. Let's go together. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of god verse 21 then all verse 21 then all who heard were amazed and said is not is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests the people began to suspect that this might be the newest trick of Saul to pretend to be like one of them. And they began to suspect him. But we know, obviously, that God used Barnabas, as we will soon see. Well, let's read verse 22. It said, But Saul increased all the more in strength and did what? Confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus was the Christ. Hallelujah. And again, the mentality of the Christians who were in Damascus began to be disrupted. Many times we need these godly disruptions in order for us to remain effective in this ministry of reconciliation. The things that we know, our mindsets, many times have hindered us from fully performing at the optimum level that God expects us to perform as people called into this ministry. And we must be willing. When we sing songs like, Lord, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. We don't know what we are saying. Many times those words invite the presence of God to bring godly disruptions to us. If you ask anyone who is a servant of God today, in a vast majority of the cases, they will tell you that they never planned to do what they are doing. I, for one, will tell you this very easily. My life was never planned by, I never ever imagined myself to be a person that would be doing what I'm doing right now. 
Even though by the grace of God, I was born into church life, raised into church, got born again, got baptized, started growing in church and had understanding of church processes. And I thank God for that. I never saw myself doing this. But when God spoke to me very, very late in 1998, and he said to me, I'm taking you out of your home country to minister my word in a unique way. It was clear that there was a disruption. I was living a life that was very, very high-flying, and by the grace of God, I'm still working as a professional in engineering. But I just attended a conference in Israel. For six weeks, we were there for a workshop, and uh, everything was going well. And I was coming back to London to minister uh, at a redeemed church before going back to Nigeria, where I was living at that time. And so it was not in my plan at all. I was planning, and a few months later, I was to go to France for another of such a trip, and that was my life at that time. And so I never saw it, but when God spoke to me on that flight from Amsterdam, from Tel Aviv to Amsterdam, I knew very well that there's been a stepping in of God that is about to change the way I saw my life going. Just six years before that time when I met my wife and we got married in, later in, in 1995, I said to her, the last thing I will ever say to you is that I would be a pastor. I said, the day I tell you that I'm going to be a pastor, please go and pray. Is either something else has happened to me or go and pray very well and come back and tell me that you are also convinced or not. Because it was the last thing I, I, I saw myself doing. But you see, when God, godly disruptions come, you have to yield to it because you can find no peace outside it. Amen. A lot of us are holding back because what God is asking us to do does not immediately tally with what we wish to do. This is why I'm spending time on this godly disruption principle. If you want to be effective in the answering the call of God upon your life, you must be willing to be disrupted. All this one I'm saying to you now, speaking so vehemently, God can come today and say, now that is all I'm asking you to do in that place called Warsaw. From next Sunday, I'm taking you to New Zealand or taking you to South Africa or taking you to Cuba. And that is it. I will just come and tell you guys, Pastor Sefas, Pastor Moses, thank you. God bless you. I'm gone. You better continue. Hallelujah. Don't you, if you stay there any longer, you waste your time. Ananias said, this man is not the person that I should go to. God said, I have chosen him. And immediately God sent uh, Ananias. He went there. We saw how God began to perfect all that concerns him. Amen. Say with me, Lord, give me the grace. To obey and follow your godly disruptions. I have been emphasizing the word godly, 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 simply because these disruptions are of God. Many times we think that they are just disruptions that happen in our life. At times, they don't come the way we have heard in this place. God speaking and saying, arise and go. They don't come like that many times. At times, they come through the loss of a job. At times, they come through the loss of a very major business contact. At times, they come through the orchestration of God for a transfer to a, a different town, to a different place. At times, they come through marriage. At times, they come through things that you never imagine. You get involved in something that God orchestrates, and then it becomes a disruption. We saw a man called Joseph. We talk about Joseph a lot in this place, how he was disrupted so many times. He had a dream. But there were so many disruptions that went all the way that by the time we got to the butler, we now understood. There was no way Joseph would have ever got to Pharaoh to become prime minister if the butler was not involved. And there was no way the butler would have ever known Joseph if they were not in prison together. 
And there was no way he would have got to prison if Potiphar's wife did not lay eyes on him. And there was no way Potiphar's wife would have laid eyes on him if he was not sold into slavery into Potiphar's house. And there was no way he could have been sold into slavery if he was not thrown into a pit. So godly disruptions are a chain of events that ultimately bring you to God's plan and purposes in your life. Never resist them. For this church to get to where it needs to get to, it has experienced godly disruptions. It will continue to experience godly disruptions. So you must find your rest in it and you must continue to obey God in every one of those disruptions. When we shout like the apostles of old who were disciples with Jesus in Mark chapter 4, when we shout like them, that, oh, oh, don't you care if we perish? We do not understand godly disruptions. Godly disruptions may come and they may give us a bit of a scare because they make us see things that we did not see before. They make us experience things that we never imagined would have been happening. But when we obey them, God gives us victory. I say he will give us victory in the name of Jesus. I'll go very quickly to what we need to learn from Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. The second value, what's the first value? We must value what? Godly disruptions. The second value we must have is that we must value the love of God for all mankind. We must value the love of God for all mankind. Somebody say all mankind. When we understand this, it changes our perspective about how we are meant to serve in this ministry of reconciliation. In Acts chapter 10, and chapter 11, the story was mostly, of course there was a lot of things in there, but the story was mostly about a man called Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Cornelius had known the ways of God, but he was not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit, nor baptized in water. We know this because the Bible says he used to pray to God, and God one day heard his prayer. Now, we know that God does not hear the prayer of the unrighteous. So Cornelius was not completely an unbeliever. He came from the Gentile stock. He was not Jew. But at the same time, Cornelius had a form of godliness. He had a relationship that was yet to be concretized by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Peter, in this case, was sent to Cornelius. Another godly disruption, by the way, because Peter did not want to go to a Gentile. He said, it's not what we do. We should go to Jews. But God showed him by reason of the... Uh, beasts in the vision and told him that whatever he has called cleansed should not be called unclean by any man. Amen. But we must understand that what God is saying here is that we must have a value for God's love on mankind. In Acts chapter 10 verse 34, the Bible says after he went there and he saw that there is a move of the Holy Spirit, he said, Peter now, Acts 10 34, he said, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Verse 35, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted. That is Acts chapter 10 verse 35. Somebody say, in every nation, whoever fears God is accepted. What does this mean to us? You see, many times, many of us do not even bother to witness to certain people. When they are coming with a big turban, I'm not trying to be stereotyping, but I'm just trying to give an illustration. When somebody is coming with a turban and is coming with an outfit that does not look like, somebody say, does not look like the one who would accept 
the message of the cross, we bypass them. We sit with them in the offices every day, but we don't even bother to share with them because we know from their identity that there is a deep-seated connection to some other faith system or faith belief system. And we automatically write them off. This was what was happening in the early church. The Jews never, the Jews who are being saved, never saw the Gentiles as potentials to be saved. And Jesus said to them, he said, this word I'm sending you to perform, to, to witness, to be witnesses of, would not just be to those in Jerusalem. It will be to those in Judea. It will be to those in Samaria. A lot of these are in their, their towns of the Gentiles. He said it will be to them as well. So when Peter was sent to Cornelius, Peter said, no, I, I, it's not, he, he, Peter said, it's not possible for me. He said, you know, look at what he said, verse 44. Verse 44. He said, while Peter, Acts 10, 44. He said, while Peter was spe still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. Acts 10, 44. And those of the circumcision who believed were what? Astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. The people that came with Peter were surprised that, oh, these people who uh, we knew as Gentiles can also receive the same Holy Spirit like we did. And then the Bible says, verse 46. Let's read verse 46. Remember what they experienced in Acts chapter 2? They spoke with tongues when the Holy Spirit came upon them. But look at what they saw the Gentiles do as well. Let's read together, everybody. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. The same way they spoke with tongues. Let us never ever see ourselves better than anybody else. God is not a respecter of person. The next major evangelist, the next major move of the power of God in our nation can come from the, the, a child or the brother or a serving imam or someone who has never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as we speak. But that does not mean anything to God. If God could use a man like Saul who was killing Christians and making it difficult for those of the way to find their faith, then how much more is he able to use anybody? And I pray that God will continue to expand our minds to see that God's love is for all mankind. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of the cross. May God continue to help us in the name of Jesus. It's interesting time will fail me to tell you and to expose further, but read Acts chapter 11, read from verse 19 to the very end. It's interesting to see that Christians were first called, uh, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, one of the Gentile towns, one of the places that you would not have expected. They were not first called Christians in Jerusalem, even though Jerusalem was their headquarters. They used to send for the apostles from Jerusalem because all the others were scattered all over the place. But right there in that Gentile town of Antioch, they were called Christians first. We read that in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. The Bible says, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. This is Saul now, was brought to Antioch by Barnabas. So it was that for a whole year that they assembled with the church. And taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I want us to know that our identity as Christians will manifest much more when we shine in those places where darkness is prevailing. Our light is not 
Thank God for what we have when we come together and we bring our light together in a church setting like this. It is shining the most when we take it to the dark places. It shines the most and it makes the most influence when we take it to the dark places. When the believers started to embrace those who were of the Gentile stock, those who were not like them originally, they began to see the power of God so much so that they saw that they were Christians. They were like Christ. They were seen as people who could be called Christ-like because the love of God that was in them was now being shared with those that were without and they were also being drawn into the things of God. As Christians, we must know very well that in answering God's call, we must have this heart that is really willing all the time to take the word beyond our comfort zones, to take the word to those people who we may not think in ourselves are the right people or are the persons that may receive. Let the Holy Spirit do the work of conviction. We just need to do the work of speaking. Hallelujah. Your work, say to your neighbor for me, your work is to speak. It is the Holy Spirit's work to do the conviction. You know the problem we have? We want to do the two. And when we don't see the two being done, we don't do one at all. <laughs> we don't do number one simply because we fail to see that our work is to simply do the talking, simply do the loving, simply do the relationship building. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to do the conviction. But we want to talk and convict people at the same time. It's not our work. I don't care how long it takes for me to build a relationship with somebody as long as they get saved. I have seen people I have followed up for five years, ten years before they came to faith. I saw people that they never came to the faith, but we met on Facebook 20 years later, and then they are pastors where they are, and then now we chat as pastor to pastor. But 20 years ago, when I was speaking to them, like uh, just virtually like a teenager or just after teens, when I was speaking to them, it was fire for fire. They did not want to listen to me. I pray that God will continue to give us the grace to embrace this value of God's love for all mankind in the name of Jesus. Finally, before I close this, finally, we must value the place of the church and intercession. Acts chapter 12. Read Acts chapter 12. Everyone who answers the call of God must never see themselves in isolation. The church is where we belong. The church is our home base. It's our support system. There was a man who was called Herod. He was killing the disciples, the apostles. He killed James and he was about to kill Peter. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 12 verse 5, he kept Peter in prison but constant prayer, someone say constant prayer, was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Friends, the church is not a social club. The church is not someplace we come on a Sunday, having been everywhere else from Monday to Saturday. The church is not a religious center that we just go to identify with a few people who call on the name of Jesus like we do. The church is the body of Christ. It's the connection point that allows us to physically koinonia, come together, in order to tap into the spiritual heavenly Jerusalem atmosphere that has been created in a place called Mount Zion. We must understand, if the church had not prayed for Peter, 
Peter would have died like his brother. We must value the church. We must contribute to the church. We must be a part of the church. We must serve in the church. We must serve one another in the church. The Bible says, please put up Acts 12, 5 for me. Peter was therefore kept in prison. He was imprisoned. I don't know what prison that you are in that is not allowing you to answer the call of God for your life. Don't limit the power of the church to pray for you to come out of that prison. Today, we may not be put in prisons like the Herod put people physically in prisons. But many of us are in prisons of financial debt. Many of us are in prisons of sickness. Many of us are in prisons of lack of stability of our home front. Many of us are in prisons of, of workplace pressures. Many of us are in prisons of extended family troubles. Many of us are in prisons of not having peace in our mind. Many of us are in all kinds of prisons. Mental instability. Prisons of all kinds. You must understand that your church, your church is your base. The Bible says Peter was therefore kept in prison. He was tied down, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. This is why every morning in this church, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., Monday to Friday, we pray for the church because we don't know who is in the prison again. We don't know who the devil has kept in one prison or the other. So we have a prayer point or two or three or four every week. Praying for the saints in the house. Praying for the church. Because people are still being kept in prison by Herod as we speak. If we leave Herod alone, he's going to chop off heads. He's going to chop off heads. His intention was not the prison. His intention is to take off the head. To stop that life from answering God's call any further. You and I must understand that this is war. So we must rise up. The church must never be given the name that the devil is trying to give it. All kinds of things traversing social media in our day and age. People even saying that who needs the church anymore? That the church is just a place where they do political gimmicks and all kinds of things to collect people's money. Who is looking for your money? You better stay away from those pollutants and those people who refuse to read a verse like this. Who say that people should not belong to church and people should not be active in church because church is just some other thing. It is a lie of the devil. Friends, let's not fall for it. I stand before you today. If not for the church, my life would have gone many years over. I would have died. But as a youth, the church prayed for me. As a person going to marriage, the church prayed for me. They counseled me. That's why by the grace of God, marriage is almost 23 years old, still going very strong and vibrant. As a child who could not know anything as a four-year-old, the church prayed for me. That is why I can stand in pulpits across the world today and fear no man. And not be intimidated by the faces of people. Because the church is what will help you to fulfill your assignment and your destiny in life. Let us value the church. Let us value the church. The value for the church is the biggest value you give to yourself in answering God's call. No one minister is called to be in isolation. As I stand before you today, there are human beings that you don't know that are praying for me. You don't even have a clue that they exist. They are praying for me. I am convinced. Because we speak regularly. The church is the entity ordained of God to ensure that you and I are able to fulfill our destinies. And the church will continue to be empowered to do so in the name of Jesus. You and I will fulfill our destinies in Christ in the name of Jesus. I speak this passionately because 
I know that the biggest threat to humanity now is the, the attempt to destroy the church. When I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about LifeGate as a church body. I'm talking about the body of Christ. There is a subtle attempt of the enemy to weaken the church. Trying to convince people not to belong to church. Trying to convince people not to pay tithes to the church. Trying to convince people not to give offerings to the church. Trying to convince people not to be active in church. Trying to convince people not to believe their leaders in church. And the devil is using it and doing so much. Now, I am not absolving any kind of misappropriation of rights and privileges, as it were, that God has given to church leaders that may have been abused. That is not what I'm talking about, and I'm not validating any of that. But I am saying that if God allows you to see a servant of God anywhere, a true church anywhere, that church must be prayed for. That church must be supported. That church must be given the funds so that it can exist as God ordains it to exist. Because the church exists for the people to exist. And may God continue to help us to be on the right side of God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let us not fall for the lies of the devil. He knows very well that when the church is empowered... Many more saints will be out there doing greater havoc than it was ever done in the days of the apostles. And so he knows very well. The sad reality about today's believers is they don't know as much as the devil knows. If we know what the devil knows and much more, we will find that the devil is a nobody. But because he knows much more, we don't search the scriptures. We don't read scriptures like this to understand where we are from and where we are going. But he knows and so it's easy to pollute the minds of people. And so wherever you are hearing my voice today across the world, I don't know why I've had to speak like this. I did not plan it. If you are contemplating not being part of church or being one of those who are opposers of the church, whatever nation you may belong, wherever you may be, I want you to repent. You are an enemy of God. May God not make you an enemy. Amen. I say, may God not make you an enemy. When Jesus met Saul, he said, why are you persecuting me? When you persecute the church and you frustrate the church, you become an enemy of Jesus Christ. Don't make yourself one. But friends, because you are a friend of God and because you are in the church of Christ, I pray with you today that whatever God has ordained will be the power for those who call upon his name will come upon you today. Amen. As it went on the Jews and the Gentiles, it will come upon you today. In the name of Jesus. We have a very golden opportunity today to partake of the Lord's table. But this table is presented and prepared, is prepared and presented to those who are in the church because they have been born again. And it's also given to those who know very well that they are living a life that is completely yielded. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible makes us to understand that many people became sick because they were taking the body of Christ in vain. Let us always examine ourselves before we come before that table. Let us always examine ourselves and let us always know that what God wants for us is that we be a people who are living in the consciousness of what Jesus has done and placing a value on it, not taking it for granted. And so I want you to rise to your feet today, church. Where?